Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you for a beautiful, sunny Sunday. God, I want to thank you for Aspen Grove. Uh, I want to thank you for the blessing it has been to be here. God, I pray that as I give this uh, word, that you would bless my, uh, my words and that you would um, impact our hearts, not by what I want to be said, but what you want to be said. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this past week, I just got done with school, and I had some time for reflection, right? Get done with school, you have some extra time. I had some time for reflection, and this past week, I was trying to figure something out. Ever since I can remember, I've always been a people pleaser. Raise your hand if you're a people pleaser here. It's just, it's rough, right? Ever since I can remember, I've always tried to please my teachers, my coaches, I've tried to please my parents and even my peers, right? And I was trying to get to the bottom of this because I just can't bear letting people down. So I was trying to figure out the root of this tendency, and one of the earliest memories that I could think of goes all the way back to grade school. And not just grade school, but an infamous invention created before time itself. It's the star chart. By show of hands, who knows what the star chart is, right? Yeah, do you have a star chart? So for those who don't know what the star chart is, yeah, there's a great star chart. The star chart has everyone's name on the left side in the classroom, and then by uh, how good of a student you are, you get golden stars, right? Before everyone is your worthiness plastered in front of the class. So if, you're, um, if you have the most golden stars, you get to walk with pride in your stride, right? Here. You're feeling good. You get to answer your questions confidently, right? And if you have like a middle round, you're trying to get to the most stars. Maybe you're uh, bringing in an apple before class to your teacher. Maybe you're staying after class and collecting pencils and erasers. You're trying to get those golden stars. You're like, give it a break, dude. Come on, give it a rest. Or maybe uh, you're that kid that everyone envied, right, secretly, who just completely gave up on the system. They just quit. But as uh, arbitrary as it is, as arbitrary as the golden star chart is, it works, right? We live in a world that dictates our worthiness based on our performance. Just watch about any television commercial, and what you're going to see is you're going to see they're not trying to sell an idea. I mean, they're not trying to sell a, a product or a workout plan or a type of food. They're selling an idea, right? They're selling the thought that this is what it looks like to make it. Have you made it? Are you worthy? Think of all the ways that in church we try to earn our golden stars, right? Maybe uh, I memorize scripture. I go to church every Sunday. I sit in the front row. I volunteer at the soup kitchen. Or... I volunteer in children's ministry. If you do that, you get double golden stars. You get double points. And don't get me wrong, all of these things are great, but where it gets bad is when we're taking a good thing and we're using it to define our worthiness before God and people. But other times we define people's worthlessness in the church, right? Like Adam said last Sunday, the church has been really good at using Scripture as a hammer of wrath. 
So instead of giving out golden stars, we give out those black dots of shame. What are those called? Demerits, right? Demerits. Right? Jimmy went to a party. There was drinking. Now he's suspended from school. Demerit. Bill and Terry, they got a divorce. Demerit. Sally is pregnant. She's 16, and the boyfriend wants nothing to do with her. Before you know it, we take a gospel that was meant for hope and life and freedom, and it's used as a measuring stick to determine who's in and who's out. So do you ever feel like you're a prisoner to your performance? Or have you ever made someone else a prisoner to their performance? As we continue in our Romans series today, we're going to be looking at a passage in Romans 3, and Paul is getting the sense that the Christians in Rome are starting to uh, determine each other's worthiness based on their works. Right? As Adam explained a couple weeks ago, that the Jewish Christians are coming back into Rome in droves. And they're coming in, and something's missing. There's no star chart anywhere. They're not following the law. So the Jewish Christians, they're saying, yeah, it's good that you know Jesus, but we also have 613 other laws that you need to be following to be a good Christian, right? And Paul is getting whiff of this, and in Romans 3, he's about to flip the way the world views works as righteousness. So let's start in verse 21. It says, But now God has shown us a way to be right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ when he freed us from our penalty of sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who had sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Amen? Paul here is showing us that the playing field has been completely leveled. There is no law or star chart now that you can follow to make yourself right before God because God has created a new standard in Jesus. One of my favorite professors at Johnson University put it like this. Johnson is where I got my undergrad. So at this point, I'm going to have to ask you to um, interact with me a little bit, okay? Is that good? Is that cool? Say yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in the last hundred years, who is the most righteous person you can think of? Just blurt it out. Adam? We'll save Adam for later. I need, I need someone globally. 
Mother Teresa, great, yes, Mother Teresa, awesome. So imagine that this chart is determining righteousness, okay? So we got Mother Teresa, and she's pretty awesome, she's pretty righteous. Let's say she gets 700 righteousness points. That sounds good. 700 righteousness points, that's awesome. All right, now who is the most despicable person you can... You saw that coming, didn't you? Survey says. Do we? Wow. Wow. Adam. Hitler. Do we have a consensus, Hitler? Is that okay? Okay. This is like the, the price is right or whatever. All right, Hitler. And let's give Hitler... That's a lot. Let's say that's three righteousness points. Sound good? All right, now, who is the most righteous person? Who is the saint among us? Who's the most righteous person in this room? No one wants to say any names? Angelica? Okay. Angelica. Actually, just because I'm looking at him, let's go with Philip. Philip, does that sound good? Philip! All right, so Philip... F, uh, PB, uh, you get 300 righteousness points. That's pretty good. Not quite Mother Teresa, not quite Hitler, right in between. Sound good? Okay. So by the standard of the world and how most religions look at it is you're either righteous or you're not. You, you earn the righteousness like in Islam or uh, some sects of Judaism and, and kind of the world, you're either righteous or you're not, right? You either made it or you didn't. But Christians were different, right? We have Jesus. We have a new standard. So what if we put Jesus on the scale? How many righteousness points would Jesus have? Infinity, billions, thousands. That's good. So if we put Jesus on this scale, we would have to change the dimensions of the scale altogether, right? Boop, boop, boop. Erase all these. Erase Hilter. Hilter? Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's embarrassing. That's why I went to Bible's college right there. Hitler. All right. So we put Jesus on this scale, and let's just say Jesus has infinity righteousness. This is infinity, here. When you put Jesus on this scale, all of a sudden, what? Where's Mother Teresa? Where's Hitler? Where's Philip? Yeah, he's in the back there. Sorry, Philip, I don't see you on the scale either. They're all ants. Jesus dwarfs everyone compared to his righteousness. This is the new standard. Do you see how, now how pointless it is to try to earn your righteousness for God? Paul gets this, right? He's earned his golden stars, so to speak. Look at what he writes in Philippians 3. Verse 5, starting in verse 5. He says, 
I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law, to the star chart. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as far as righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I can gain Christ and I become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right depends on faith with him. See, Paul knows that regardless of how many golden stars or black dots we get, we're never going to be a blip on the radar compared to Christ. See, growing up, my parents, they used to read me one of my favorite books. It's a little uh, illustrated book. It's called You Are Special by uh, Max Lucado. Anyone? Yeah, You Are Special. And in this uh, book, there's these little wooden puppet beings, and the main character, his name is Punchinello. And in this world, the Wimlicks, they walk around with these boxes with golden stars and black dots, and they walk around and they give each other gold stars and black dots. So if you're like really pretty, if you're really funny, if you're not awkward at all like me, no, you get golden stars. Boom, boom, gold star. But if you're like Punchinello and you're kind of awkward, you're not that funny, you're not that handsome, you get black dots. And by the way, they're permanent. So Punchinello is walking around. He finds out he gets all these black dots all over him. And one day he sees a Wimlick, a girl, who has no gold stars or black dots. And he goes up to her and he's, he's really excited. He says, how did you get the way you got? I, I want to know. Why don't you have any golden stars or black dots? There's the picture. And she says, you know what? People try to stick them onto me, but they just don't stick anymore. And he goes, how did you get this way? And she goes, well, it's pretty simple, actually. I go and I see Eli in his uh, workshop up on the hill every morning, and since then, they don't stick. So Punchinello timidly walks up the hill. He's kind of excited, kind of timid, and he goes into the workshop, and he sees Eli, his creator. And Eli is just ecstatic to see him. He's super excited. He brings him up on his lap, And he says, I've been waiting for you. I love you. And Punchinello, when he meets his master and he realizes that he's loved beyond belief, no matter how many black dots he has, all of a sudden, they don't seem to stick to him any longer. See, he becomes free from the performance and the fear of judgment because Punchinello is made worthy As Christians, we're given the same exact promise. In faith, when we enter baptism, we die to our former selves and we're raised to new life in Christ. It says we're clothed in Christ. And God doesn't see Graham, he doesn't see Megan, he doesn't see Philip, 
He sees a new creation, whole, worthy creation. But I'll be honest with you, there's many mornings when I wake up and I'm reminded by everything other than the fact that I'm made worthy and whole in Christ, right? Satan loves to remind me of my, my weakness, my past, all of my many insecurities. On those days, I, I just want to run to anything else to make me feel worthy and loved. Have you ever been there? But for a moment, just for a second, I want you to imagine with me how radically transformed we would be if we truly believe, not just in our head, but in our heart, in our very being, that we are completely loved and set free in Christ. Can you honestly imagine how differently we might live? I bet your, your friends, your coworkers, and your family, they probably wouldn't even recognize you anymore, right? Just think of how all the little things would change when you are convinced that you are loved. When you're convinced you're loved, you can't help but to pour into your marriage, into your kids, right? You can't help but to invite that student over to your table who you know he's going to sit alone again. You can't help but to slow down and be present with people that you run into on a day-to-day basis. You can't help but to share Jesus with people, even if it's scary. You can't help but to be freed from the judgments of the people around you and even yourself because you know you are covered in Christ. Do you notice that none of those things have an incentive? Do you notice that none of those things have the star chart hovering over your head, no one around your shoulder, right? No, because when you know you're loved, you can't help but to love others. For some of us here, that might mean changing the way we look at obedience to God altogether. If you're like me, you've been living a a life dictated by that star chart for a long time, your performance. If that's the case, I encourage you, just take some time every day and meditate on the fact that there's nothing you can do to earn the love of Jesus. But maybe some of us here, our hearts are burning just listening to this message. You're thinking, I need that freedom. That's what I want. You feel like Punchinello. Maybe you're confronted with the weight of your sin and you desperately need Jesus' righteousness. If that's the case, I'd love for you to reach out to me or one of the elders or Adam. We'd love to talk to you about baptism and following Jesus. See, in Christ, we're free from the prison of performance. In Christ, we're all free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I come to you now and I have uh, bittersweet feelings. God, uh, as it's my last Sunday here at Aspen Grove, I just look back at all of the moments I've had with this church and it's happy and sad and this is my family. This has become friends and and people I trust, and people I, I love, and people I've grown close to. And God, I, I just, I'm so thankful for everyone here. God, as we go out from this Sunday, 
I pray that we wouldn't be trapped in our own heads and in our own, in our own minds about what we have to do, our performance. But God, I pray that if, if we could go out and have one thing instilled in us, it would be that we are loved beyond belief. God, may that love transform our lives. May that love help us go out and transform other people as well. You are so worth it. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.